taking realistic looking landscape photos is definitely a big challenge in today's podcast episode. We are going to talk about some ways that you can start creating more realistic looking photos. What is going on, everybody? It's your host, Austin James Jackson, back here with another episode on the Learn Landscape Photography Podcast. Thank you guys so much for downloading and listening. Really excited today to talk about a topic that I am really, really passionate about, which is creating realistic looking landscape photos. I think that with all of the tools that are out there today, there's way too many photographers over editing their photos, creating unrealistic looking photos. And I just personally think that realistic looking landscape photos are the way to go. They're the most appealing to my eye personally, more than welcome to disagree. But that is a topic we're talking about on today's podcast. And we are talking with one of the best and when it comes to creating realistic photos in David Danette. Now, David is going to share with us a ton of different tips, tricks, advice, uh, the whole nine yards when it comes to taking realistic landscape photos. I'm really excited for today's conversation. Let's go ahead and get right to it. Uh, really excited today on the podcast to welcome David Danette. Welcome to the Learn Landscape Photography Podcast. David, will you start off by telling us a little about yourself for some of our listeners that may not be familiar? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. You've had a lot of great photographers on the show, many of which I admire, so I'm excited to be a part of it. Um, I'd like to start really by just talking about why I got into photography in the first place. And my goal as a photographer is to capture nature in its most beautiful state and share it out with others in a way that will evoke a feeling and appreciation for these natural places. And I think that more so now than ever, it's important to document these beautiful places in their natural state, you know, mainly because, you know, some of these pristine locations, you know, are no longer there because of, you know, natural occurring events like wildfires or, or floods, you know, or whatever it may be, human impact, for example. Um, so that's really my goal as a photographer. Now, to get into how I got into photography, my journey into photography was definitely not linear. Growing up, I spent a lot of time hiking and fly fishing the Sierra Nevada mountains. And the only way that I could document these moments was with a disposable camera that I purchased from a local drugstore. That was my approach because it was easy to use and it was also affordable. I didn't have the means to purchase a nice camera and at, at that time digital cameras weren't really available so it was it was film um you know but with with that being said you know every time i'd go to the drugstore and pick up the prints i'd have to say a prayer hoping that they would turn out and uh <laughs> unfortunately probably fortunately none of these image, images made it into my portfolio um, but looking further into my journey as a photographer, it really took a, a 180 when I met my wife, Nikki Freitas. She's a very talented landscape photographer on her own. And my father-in-law has been a professional landscape photographer for over 40 years. So I guess you could say that I married into a family of photographers. Now, with that comes great mentorship, which definitely speeds up the learning curve. However, you know, I also had to find my own voice and develop my own style that would make my images unique and different from my father-in-law and my wife as well. So 
All in all, I've been photographing with the intention of creating portfolio quality images for about 10 years now. That's perfect. A lot of, uh, a lot of information there. It all makes sense. And I, I do like, um, how you just kind of came to be the person you are today in your landscape photography, especially, um, today I'm looking really forward to chatting about creating more realistic landscape photos, which is something that there's a lot of people that struggle to do that, but it's something that I think when I look through my Instagram or whatever social media I'm on, your photos really stand out among others when I'm thinking about photos that look realistic, something you obviously know how to do really well. Will you start off by just talking a little bit about some of the aspects of a photo that you think help to make it look more realistic? Yeah, you know, I, I think when I'm, I'm thinking about my photography overall, there's really two things that I focus on and that is colors and saturation. You know, I always ask myself, well, are these colors realistic to what the viewer would see in real life if they were standing there? And I also look at contrast, finding that balance and making sure that an image isn't too soft, but it doesn't also look harsh and crunchy, probably a better adjective to describe that, I guess, HDR, you know, but with all of the powerful editing tools that are out there now and the ability to build out composites, it's becoming easier and easier and more popular among many photographers, you know, so we're seeing a lot of images now that are almost too perfect, right? where everything lines up perfect. You're looking at a scene, you've got beautiful flowers in the foreground, you've got a, a perfect reflection in a lake and a big old mountain in the background and the best sky you've ever seen, right? But, you know, the reality is, is nature's messy and it isn't always perfect in the eyes of every photographer. So things aren't always going to line up the way that you want them to, but that's part of the challenge of landscape photography. And I try my best to embrace that and capture what it is that nature is providing the best that I possibly can. And one way that I do that is, you know, I always ask myself, okay, could the viewer walk straight into this image and be a part of this landscape? And I think if my images can achieve that, then it will have that realistic look and take the viewer of the image exactly to that place and evoke that feeling that I was feeling in that moment. That's great. Yeah. I think really embracing the imperfections is something that, um, is, is great to do. A lot, a lot of people don't do that. Like you said, you see a lot of photos where it's like everything is just absolutely perfect. So embracing that imperfection helps to kind of show off, uh, the realism, I guess, in the landscape. Um, and you did also mention, uh, really nailing the colors as well as the contrast, two things that I want to talk about a little later. Um, for right now, I'm curious if there's a common mistake that you see people making, uh, that makes their photos look unrealistic. Yeah. And, and this is, I think everybody is, is at a different stage in their photography journey and, you know, including myself, I'm, I'm constantly learning new things, but, you know, one of the pieces of advice for, for beginners, for example, is, you know, thinking about over-processing images, it is so easy to do that. Again, there's so many different editing tools out there. It's easy to get carried away. And just because you have these tools doesn't mean that you have to, or you should use them all, you know, thinking about, you know, the process of, of editing an image, it's, there's only certain parts of the image that really need to be processed and, and brought to life. And I think 
If you're looking globally, then you're looking too far. You know, looking at individual pieces of an image, I think will prevent, you know, the artist from getting carried away in, in their post-processing. And, you know, another thing that I, I see as a common mistake is photographers will finish a trip, they'll go home, and they'll start processing their images right away. And boom, they post it. You know, I don't like to do that because I feel like I'm emotionally attached to the image. I have this expectation that, you know, when I was there 24 hours ago, it was the greatest sunset the world's ever seen. And then when I get it into my Lightroom catalog and I'm sourcing through the images, it it can be a little bit disappointing, right? So I like to let things really settle down. It's okay to look in there and, hey, make sure that you've got you know, you've got some good quality images that you can work with, but let them breathe a little bit, put them aside, revisit them when you're in the, the right creative heads, headspace, and just don't rush through the processing um, process and take your time with it. And your images will definitely reflect that, that level of patience as they will look more natural because you'll be able to, to point out the mistakes in your processing as you're looking at the image two or three different times with a fresh set of eyes. Yeah. One thing that I kind of jotted down here while you were chatting, one thing that I will say oftentimes about you're saying people over-processing, using too many tools, this and that, um, there, I feel like there is 99 occurrences of people over-processing for every one occurrence of someone under-processing. Like it is so much easier, so much more common at least that I personally think that I see of people that are just over processing and hardly anyone is, is under processing. So, uh, that was really great. I, I appreciated that you, that you said that. And I'm curious, I know you had mentioned, um, again, we talked about just a couple minutes ago, um, the, having your landscape not be so like perfectly perfect, if that makes sense. But do you think that composition has anything to do with helping to sell a certain feeling in your image and then making it look more realistic? And if so, can you kind of explain that? Yeah, absolutely. I think composition is, is in my opinion, the most challenging and also the most important part of creating an image. I know that, yeah, processing is a huge part of it. But if you nail the composition, the editing process is much easier. Right. So it's easy to overprocess an image when you're trying to compensate for the shortcomings of the composition itself. So you process in a way that will draw attention away from the imperfection of the image. So on a personal level, images for me that aren't perfect from a compositional standpoint, those are the ones that I spend more time on because I'm trying to make it work. And sometimes it works out, but often you know, these images never end up making the cut, you know, because the composition really doesn't take me there, which means it's not going to take my viewer there. So I always look at this, you know, with composition as I'm continuing to evolve and there's always ways to improve your composition, but this is a learning opportunity. So I always critique my own work and I'm constantly asking myself, okay, what can I do differently or what would make this image better? And ultimately by doing that, the next time I'm in the field, I'm thinking about these things so I can create a, a image that has that composition that will, again, help the viewer walk right into the image. So if I'm photographing 
you know, a mountain range in the Sierras with a reflection in a lake, you know, I want the viewer to be standing on the edge of, of that lake with me. So I, I'm focused on how can I achieve that when I'm out in the field? So yes, composition for me will make the process a lot easier getting back into, you know, Lightroom and starting that process, you know, if you nail it in the field. I want to take a break from today's episode and talk about a really cool opportunity if you are a beginner or intermediate photographer that is really serious about taking better photos and getting better at photography. Now, usually about four to six times a year, I teach in-person workshops around the Western United States centered around helping you become a better photographer. Now, my workshops are kept to just five people, which means that you will get plenty of one-on-one attention. So regardless of your skill level, whether you just picked up your first camera or whether you've been shooting for 15 years, I promise you, you're going to get so much out of it. I'm going to cater the class directly to you. Best of all, after the workshop, I'm going to add you to my alumni group on Facebook where you can get literally weekly image feedback. We can connect at all times. Uh, When the workshop is over, it's not done. I'm still going to be your mentor. I'm going to be there to help you and become better at photography. Now, like I said, if you're serious about becoming better at photography, don't wait any longer. Register for one of my workshops this year. You can visit austinjamesjackson.com slash workshops. That link will be down below in the podcast description that you can click on as well. I really can't wait to see you guys out there. Do you get critique from anyone else? If you don't, it's totally fine. I'm just curious um, if you just self-critique your work. Like, do you sit on your images a few days, look at it again? Do you have someone else look at it? What does that critique process look like? Yeah, well, luckily my my wife is a photographer as well. And <laughs> my father-in-law. So yeah, so if there's, you know, I always I always show the images and, and I, nothing right away or I'll do a soft edit on an image and be like, okay, what, what do you think here? Or hey, what do you think about this composition? You know, and I'm always getting feedback and, and I take that as, you know, I'm thankful to be able to have that. And I think anybody who is, you know, still learning, I mean, even the professionals, I mean, that have been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years, you know, I think it's important that they continue to, to seek out, you know, advice and at least get opinions. I mean, my father-in-law will send my wife and I images for us to critique and look at and, and give our feedback on. And, you know, I welcome it. You know, because it it definitely helps you think about things a little bit differently. But also, you know, my wife goes on a lot of these photography trips with me. So she's photographing, you know, her own vision and her own way. And, you know, we'll we'll look at each other's images, but usually we don't share stuff until the, the trip's over. So there isn't, you know, any competition to go back and copy anybody's work. Um, we definitely, you know, stand alone in, in that respect, but we do you know, share critique and, you know, we don't really share a whole lot in terms of, of knowledge on editing styles. I mean, we both do things dramatically different from that perspective. So, you know, it's really just compositional discussions as as far as that goes. Yeah. And like you mentioned, you're lucky to have, um, that the wife and father-in-law that are also landscape photographers that can help you in order to give you that critique. But I would encourage everybody listening, even if you don't have someone that's a photographer in your family, if you just want help on trying to get your images looking realistic, even people that aren't photographers can look at your image and they can tell you if that looks realistic or not. And sure, they're not going to be able to tell you how to change it, but they can say, well, 
that looks way too warm. Like the real, it doesn't realistically look like that. Or if you have a wife or a husband that travels with you. So if you're looking to create realistic images, like don't overlook the fact of showing your images to someone that's close to you that was on a trip with you and let them kind of see what they think. I think that can be helpful as well. Probably not as helpful as having another photographer, but definitely doesn't hurt in my opinion. Um, so that's kind of my, my two cents there. I am curious if there's any specific steps you take in the field or in post-processing that helps you to sell that really realistic looking image. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll break that down into two parts. So we'll, we'll talk about, you know, my approach in the field. When I, when I find a subject or a composition, I, I don't, I don't start shooting right away. Yeah. Unless the light is absolutely crazy and I didn't get on, on location fast enough. Um, but I, I like to move my camera up and down, try different, different angles, look at different focal lengths, you know, until I find that angle that looks the most realistic. And, you know, for example, let's say, take a look at forest scenes, right? So, you know, depending on the angle of, of your lens, if it's pointed down, the trees are going to be bent and crooked outwards. If it's pointed up, then the trees are going to be bent, you know, towards the center of the frame. And, you know, this is an example that immediately tells the viewer that they're looking at a photograph because trees don't bend that way. Right. So making sure that you've got, you know, trees that are straight, mountains that aren't too stretched out, flowers or ferns or foreground images that aren't too warped where it, it looks fake. So that's my approach in the field to make sure that, okay, does this actually look, look natural? And again, I mean, there's the ability to, you know, blend focal lengths and things like that, but you know, that's not something that I generally will do in an image because it, you don't need to, if, if you compose it properly, but looking at post-processing, you know, I do an, an initial round of editing and then I'll put the image away for a few days, sometimes a few weeks, and I'll revisit it with fresh eyes. And I always make changes and those changes usually have to do with the color balance, you know, adding contrast or, or giving the image a little bit more depth. And it's, it's nice to have those, those fresh eyes. And, you know, to be completely honest, there are times where, you know, the, the images that I feel are the best ones that I've captured in the field are often not the best ones when you actually go back and, and you process. And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll put images away where I will not even do an initial round of editing for six months or a year because I've tried it and I really just can't get things to look the way that I want to. And I'll go back with a completely fresh mindset a year later sometimes and edit those images. And within 10 minutes, you got what you're looking for. So, you know, I, I really just think a lot of it just has to do with, with getting it right in the field, but also being in the correct creative mindset. Uh, when you sit down to, to edit the images. Yeah. And you mentioned like some of the, the warping things, like when you aim your wide angle lens up or down, having warp trees, is that something you ever fix in post-processing? I do because they're, you know, as much as I'd like to get everything perfect in, in the field, you know, let's face it. Sometimes, sometimes you just can't, right. You just, you have to have yeah. your lens at a certain angle and, and that's fine. You know, I, we have the tools to be able to do that. So I'm, I'm all for utilizing, you know, these tools when, when you absolutely have to, because, you know, let's face it with the, the cameras we have, the, the, the programs that we have to edit these images, you don't always have to get it right. So you can compensate for, you know, some of your mistakes and fix those types of things in post-processing. But, you know, if you can get it right, my advice is get it right in the field. You know, if you think that you have to focus that, you probably should. 
because there's nothing worse than getting home and realizing that, you know what, part of the image is not in focus and it's just not something that you're going to be able to use. And in most cases, that's nearly impossible to fix. Yeah. And the more you get correct in the field, the less you have to do in post-processing, which means the less potential mess ups you're going to have that are going to make your image look unappealing. So the more you can get right in the field, the better. Um, and I'm curious while we're kind of talking a little bit about camera gear, is there any camera filters that you use uh, in your photography that create certain effects? Not necessarily to create certain effects. I will, a circular polarizer is something that is really a mainstay. And I, I think every photographer should have one. And, you know, I always start with it on my camera when I'm, you know, figuring out my composition to see, Hey, it does, you know, do any aspects of this image polarize and, you know, then I'll, I'll make the decision from there to, to keep it on or, or take it off. But, you know, you get polarizer sky if you're not careful. So, you know, my, my advice is to rotate that, do multiple exposures so that everything in the image is, is properly polarized. Um, you know, otherwise you're going to have a wonky sky or, you know, part of, 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 of a watery image, if you will, that, that doesn't have the polarization, but I'll use, you know, neutral density filters, graduated neutral density filters, you know, whatever, whatever it takes, you know, I, I try not to use them. If you can use multiple exposures and, and expose for the sky and expose for the, for the land in two separate exposures, I, I find that, you know, for me, in most cases that creates a more natural look and it's easier just to blend those images together. Uh, Cause sometimes depending on your, your neutral density filter, you might get, you might get a really hard line in there. Um, and that can be hard to, to fix in post-processing. How much time, just out of curiosity, I know this, I guess, changes for a lot of different photos, but on average, how much time would you say you spend editing a photo? Um, on my first pass, this, this is going to sound crazy, but 10 to 20 minutes tops. And maybe if it's a really complex image that involves a, a bunch of focus stacking and exposure blending, then that will be, you know, 30 minutes just to really set the stage um, and get the image prepared in a way that I can actually start editing it. But, um, you know, for the most, most part, I, I don't like my images to feel like I'm doing arts and crafts, <laughs> but <Yeah>. sometimes, <laughs> you know, sometimes that that's just, just what it is. But yeah, if again, on that first initial pass, you know, sometimes I'll do, you know, I'll spend 10 or 15 minutes on an image just to kind of see what's there and I'll end up throwing it away and, and starting over. Um, you know, once I have kind of an idea of, of what I can do with it and, and what's actually there, but between 10 and 20 minutes on the first pass and then, you know, two or three, four more passes of, you know, five or 10 minutes a piece, you know, to really get things dialed in. Yeah, I definitely appreciate someone else that doesn't spend hours because I know I've talked to a lot of people that spend two, three, four, five hours. And, and that used to be me. But I've found that like as my photography has improved, as I've gained more experience, I've like greatly, greatly shortened my workflow, which has helped my photos to look more realistic and look a little more compelling, in my opinion. Um And it's not because I'm getting more efficient at what I'm doing. It's because I'm just getting rid of things like that that aren't good for the workflow. I'm just throwing them out. Um, and when I talk about workflow, I'm curious what you don't have to give us like the whole playbook, but like roughly what does your editing workflow look like? Like, where are you editing your image? I know you have already told us about, you take a couple passes at it, but like what, what exactly does your workflow look like? 
Yeah, and, and and that's fair. And I mean, obviously, I'll, I'll I'll keep this relatively concise because you know there's there's a lot of different different things that you can do with with the different software that's out there. So uh-huh. you know, really, for me, everything starts in Lightroom. I use that to catalog and and select which images that I'm I'm going to keep and and that I'm going to process. And I'll do mostly global adjustments there, and that's really just bringing up shadows if I need to, bringing down highlights, and you know maybe adding a little bit of masking and trying to make the image, you know, balanced, if you will. And and then I take it into Photoshop. So Lightroom, I'll spend no more than maybe two, three minutes just on the initial pass there and then bring it into Photoshop. And, you know, for me, I break the image down into, in, into pieces and, you know, I'm editing different parts of the image at one time and, you know, working in layers in Photoshop, I'll use, two programs outside of Photoshop, one being Luminar AI. I really like that. There's a lot of, of different things that you can do with that software. And I also use the, the, the Timeless Knit Color Effects Pro. Um, that is a really great program as well. You know, so everything is, is done in pieces and done in layers and then you know, brought back into to Photoshop and I'll paint in whatever adjustments I've made from those programs and you know keep it in the image that way and then of course adobe camera raw is is you know something that i'll use a lot of as well but i do have the tk panel i use that to you know navigate through all of my shortcuts i'll do some luminosity masking but i don't go crazy with it you know there's a lot that you can do and and you talked about you know spending hours upon hours editing images and when you know i was using that program not that it's not easy to use it's gotten a lot easier to use but i do find that I, I'm spending more time than I want to if I'm you know fully using that to all of its its capabilities. There are other ways to get the image to look the way that I want to. So I take the path of least resistance. But you know for the most part those are are really the softwares that I use and the approach that I use. I'm curious um, I know you you had mentioned the both Luminar AI and the Nick collection. What exactly do you use luminar ai for like i have it and i know a lot of people probably have it but like i wouldn't even know what to use in it yeah there's there's a lot that you can you can use it for but they're the contract the features of adding contrast in that software is something that i really really like so it does a really nice job and of course it's got the brushes and the mask and everything else so you know, in terms of making the images pop, it's a great software for that. Um, it it also has you know the ability to do you know an Orton effect, but not overdo the Orton effect. And of course, when you bring it back into Photoshop, you can you can pull it out of the shadows, no problem. But um, you know, that's I only use it for really three, maybe three or four of the different panels that are on there, and and that's it. And then in color effects pro it's it's very similar to that in terms of you know what i use it's only only a few of the actual options that you have because there's like 60 different filters in there and i think on my favorites i have eight yeah yeah i i use that the nick collection as well too it's like and i always try and tell people how much I like it for the like three or four filters that I use, but it's like, it's kind of a hard sell to, to convince people like landscape photographers that they need it when you're like, yeah, buy this. It's going to be like a hundred plus dollars and you're going to use three filters. (laughs) But, uh, 
but I do like the software a lot and, and I do use the Knit collection. I'm going to, I'm going to give Luminar AI a try now that you mentioned it. Like I said, I have it. I just haven't really played around with it much. Um, so kind of moving forwards here, I would personally say that one thing that really stands out in your portfolio is your images have like really realistic colors and, and not only that, but like a wide range of colors. One thing I noticed among a lot of landscape photographers is people have a difficulty almost of having a good color separation. So like their color is all like one hue that's maybe there's some like brighter greens and darker yellows, but like your portfolio, I'm just looking at multiple images where there's like nice bright red flowers, nice bright green grass, like blue sky. It's just really nice to have all those colors together. So I am curious, um, because your images contain vastly different colors, each one, it does seem perfectly dialed in in order to create great photos. I'm curious if you have any advice on dialing in colors for photographers that might be struggling. Yeah, this is this was something that it, it took me a while to figure this out. And if you're you're thinking about like an Instagram portfolio, you know, some people try to curate images where they all have like the same tones and the coloring looks the same. But for for me, each image in my portfolio stands alone. It is one of one. So I don't want every image to have the same look or aesthetic because that's not realistic. So you know, I take this approach because when, when someone's buying a print or they're licensing an image from you, nine out of 10 times, they're selecting one image. So it's going it, to stand alone, whether it's in print, whether it's on a web page, or whether it's on a wall. So you want the colors in that image, that one image alone to really be the best representation of the landscape in that moment in which the image was captured. So that's why I don't use presets. And if you're looking at like my Instagram portfolio, for example, and you're just looking through that, you'll see that there's a lot of different colors. And is that the most aesthetically pleasing flow when you're looking at, you know, a, you know, a grid of nine images? Maybe, maybe not, but I, I don't really care about that. What I do care about is the way that the standalone image works and the way that the viewer is looking at each individual image, I find that that is really one of the things that for me makes my portfolio stand out and be unique. Now there are times for presets. If somebody wants to, to buy four images from you and they're looking for something very specific, you know, maybe you go back and you edit four images specifically for one client and you're using very, very, very similar color grading on that, you know, then, then that makes sense. But, you know, for the majority of my work, I like each image to be absolutely different than every other image in my portfolio, even if they're taken in similar locations. But remember, the lighting is different, right? So depending on the time of the day that you were there, maybe the time of the year that you were there. If you go to the Redwoods, for example, if you go in the early spring, everything is neon green. You go later in the summer and things are a little darker, you know? So just making sure that you're, you're representing the landscape in, in a way that really captures the moment. Um, I think that that's important as, as a photographer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of people out there that like, they really want to have like a signature style, but in my opinion, like not having a style is the best possible thing. Because like you said, 
there's different conditions and different light. And so you would expect every photo should be a one of one, like you mentioned. And so that's something that if you are someone that's kind of up and coming and trying to figure out where you're at, don't feel like you have to have a style necessarily on every photo. I mean, usually when you look at a photographer's work, you can kind of tell like, okay, that's like the amount of contrast they like to have, but like photos should not have similar tones and colors and white balances and things like that. So really liked uh, what you had to say about that. I'm curious if you, I know you had mentioned earlier uh, doing a little bit of color and saturation stuff. Um, are you usually adding saturation in your images? And if so, um, are you doing global or HSL sliders or a different way? Um, and, and I'm also curious, I guess now that I read this question again, I'm curious if you've tried the new Lightroom uh, sliders, uh, this color swatch things, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that sort of, sort of one topic at a time. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, not, a, not a problem. I, I don't do global adjustments when it comes to, to changing colors. I, I do like the HSL sliders, but before I really start making any HSL adjustments, I, you know, when you're editing an image and anytime you're adding contrast, you're, you're adding saturation naturally. So I want to see where the image ends up after I, I give it a little bit of depth. And after that, that's when I'll go in and, and I'll start looking at individual colors and, you know, what's going to, to make things, you know, pop, if you will. And that's, that's really what we're doing. We're trying to dial in, in those colors and the HSL sliders have been, have been great for that. Um, but the, the new, the new color pointer in, in Lightroom. I have played around with it. I, I do like it. Um, it's going to take a little bit of getting used to, but you know, I don't think it's going to be something that I'm going to use right away. I'm really comfortable with the tools that I've been using, but you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to embrace some change. So depending on, you know, how experienced I get with it, you know, that'll dictate how much I, I use that new feature, that new feature in the future. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's great. Uh, the last question I always ask here on the podcast, um, is if you have one piece of advice for a landscape photographer that's trying to become better at photography, what would it be? It doesn't have to have anything to do with today's episode. If, if it doesn't. Yeah, I honestly, photography is hard. It is. And, and anyone out there who's just picking it up, Hey, you're, you're, you're brave, but, but you're doing it right. So my advice is try and try and fail. Just get out there, take pictures. You're going to learn by doing. You know, if you can find a mentor that can that can critique your work and give you feedback, that's always helpful. But be a student of the craft. You know, always be learning. There's so many great resources out there. You know, on YouTube, I know you've got a lot of good YouTube videos, and and there's a lot of of resources out there that weren't available to you know, photographers that were just picking it up. Like when I started, you know, photography, that this YouTube thing, this, this was not, not even a thing. So, you know, embrace the resources that are out there, but be an honest critic of your work also and identify what you can improve upon. You know, really you're going to be your, your biggest critic, but you're going to learn by doing, and you're going to learn a lot by making a lot of mistakes, but embrace it and, do what you have to do to improve upon whatever shortcomings that you have as a photographer. 
I like that a lot. Embrace the failures and expect them to happen and, and try and make them happen. Cause the more you shoot, the more you will learn. Um, David, really appreciate you being here. Will you wrap us up by just telling us where we can find more of your work? Where can we learn from you, buy from you, whatever you've got, give us the whole nine yards of where we can find you. Yeah. My website is definitely the, the one-stop shop for, for all of my work. So that's daviddenette.com. Yeah. One of the things that I do offer, I don't like to do a lot of, of workshops in the field. I, everything I do is, is one-on-one, but I do one-on-one editing sessions. So if anybody is interested in learning more about my process and how I approach editing, editing photos, um, definitely send me an email, send me a DM, definitely would be interested in, in, in helping anybody out who's, who's looking for, you know, someone to, to at least help guide them, if you will. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much for being here. Really appreciate it. And so much great stuff in this episode. I think people are going to really get a lot out of it. All right. Well, thank you, Austin. Wow, this episode was loaded with great advice. If you can listen to it twice, I recommend listening to it twice with a pen and paper. I know a lot of you guys are out there probably listening in your car, you're driving to work, you're taking the public transportation, whatever it may be. Maybe you're driving to an amazing fall photography location, whatever it is. I highly recommend if you can listen to it twice with a piece of paper to write down some notes, I highly recommend doing that. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Learn Landscape Photography Podcast. As always, I really, really appreciate your support. I've been having a lot of fun making these podcast episodes and I wouldn't be able to do it without your support. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you guys have a good one. Bye-bye.